One of my favorite things about Colorado is the autumn. Um, the reason I say that is because that's when I take most of my vacation. And we usually spend most of my vacation in Colorado. And the reason why I like going to the resorts in Colorado when it's autumn is it's a lot cheaper. Uh, one of the vacation weeks I took in uh, late September was with my two sisters and my brother. And uh, you need to know that whenever we get together, we tell embarrassing stories about each other's childhood. And uh, there were several embarrassing stories about me, which you will never hear, uh, on the promise of uh, my two sisters and my brother. There are some zingers, and I must admit, I can now laugh at them, and I wonder, how did I ever make it through childhood? A couple of you have also mentioned, Jim, in this series that you're doing called Foundations, you're sharing a lot of stories about yourself. And the reason I'm saying that is not, well, first of all, a couple of you have said it, but, but secondly, I want you to understand that the passages, every passage that I'm using has become a part of me, a part of me so much that uh, every year I go through them, every year I, rever- I, I rehearse them, I recite them, I work on them, and I make sure that that's still the focus I'm to have. And every one of those passages in this foundation series has a story behind it or my story. And I want you to take comfort with me. The stories I'm about to tell you about my first years in the faith will be told much longer and for eternity when I'm in heaven. And none of the stories about my childhood would ever be repeated. And that's a good thing. So in these stories, I want you to know true stories communicate. And because they're true events, understand that this is not exactly how God is going to work in you, but perhaps these are clues of you coming to an understanding of what God is doing in you. I believe our God is always at work. Jesus said it in John chapter 5. And Jesus' work was to do his work while he could, and the Holy Spirit continues to work now. The issue is, is are we aware? Do we see him? Do we know what's going on? So... I tell stories about my first years as a Christian, when I was unconfident because I had no church background, when I was defeated because I kept on doing stupid things, when I felt guilty for being a poor Christian. You see, I was just beginning to walk with God, and God was taking me through a process that would propel me through my life as a Christ follower. So I go through these passages And again, they're very important. The first one is Isaiah 55 that tells us God is amazing. He's amazing in these ways. His his thoughts and his methods are different than ours. And therefore, we should understand, since he's sovereign, his thoughts and his ways will last. They are perfect. Uh, They have power behind them. And it would be good for us to be searching his thoughts and his ways rather than just doing it ourselves. God is amazing. And, and more than that, he has a great vision, and Jesus tells his disciples, his followers, what his vision is in Matthew tw- chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. And he puts it in two words, so even I can't forget it. Make disciples. That's his vision. It's going to be a worldwide movement touching every language spoken, every ethnic person, every ethnic group. And the idea is that we're going to be making disciples. 
In other words, people who are not yet trusting in Christ and following Jesus Christ will now begin to trust in Jesus Christ and follow him. We make disciples. But how does he do it? You see, we go back to our thoughts and our ways, which aren't always bad. But maybe sometimes God breaks through through his Holy Spirit and does it in different ways. So in Mark chapter 2, we saw how Jesus makes disciples. And it's not by a certain teaching. Look carefully back at Mark chapter 2. Because Jesus has this ability to be in a huge crowd and look at certain individuals and certain groups that are around him and look deep into their souls and saying, Oh, you really need me. You just don't know it yet. You have a deep thirst in your soul, but you can't yet identify it. He looks at the proud who think they've already got it together spiritually, and he tells them, you are missing the point, and you are missing the person that God has sent. And he looks at those who are humble and know that they're needy, and he goes, I'm here to meet your needs, even needs that you don't know you have. That's how he makes disciples. By breaking into their lives with his truth and with his care and with his power. Then we go on because we saw in John chapter 17 how, at least for me in my story, is there was so much new stuff as a young Christian. I thought I had to do everything. And for a while I did everything. I got very tired. I didn't get mono, but I should have. I was involved in so much. That when I finally broke away, it was called college at CU, easy place to break away, okay. Uh, So when I finally broke away, I I stood back and I said, I got to make a decision. It's time to paint or get off the ladder. Even I'm going to, either I'm going to follow Jesus Christ or I'm just going to sort of stand in the background. I will still believe, but I won't be too active. In John chapter 17, verses 20 to 25 that we looked at two weeks ago, Jesus prays for us. Not the believers of his time, but the believers who would come after his time. And he says, there's just three simple goals I want for them. That they would have a growing love for me and for you, Father. That they would have a growing love for Jesus, uh, other followers of Jesus. And that they have a growing love for those who are not yet following Jesus. And if you were like me back then, where you feel overwhelmed of all that you should be doing, I want to put you into one of God's great secrets. He knows you. He knows all of humanity. He created us. He knows that we have limitations. And he's not asking for perfection, but he's asking for progress. Are you progressing? Sometimes those of us who've been followers for 30 years are stuck. Sometimes those of us who are new believers don't know where we should go or what's next. It's very simple. He says, put these three things before you. A love for him. A love for those who are following Jesus currently, who have put their trust in him. And a love for those who do not yet have that faith and are not living that life. Now, if these are goals of your lives, then... How do you achieve them? Well, I found that I had to become involved in certain practices, certain events, certain activities that helped me progress in these three loves. That's why I called it foundations, because I had to start understanding it wasn't just attending these things, but gaining from them. 
learning from them, growing from them, progressing in them. And so here are the disciple-making activities that we should be looking at. And I want you to understand that in Jerusalem in 30 AD, we have a living example of these new believers progressing as disciples. There's a problem in Jerusalem in about 30 AD or somewhere between 30 and 36 AD. And that problem is, is they wake up one morning called Pentecost, and there's about 70 to 120 of them. By sunset that night, there's 3,000 of them. I call that change. I call that addition. And the 3,000, you know, put their faith in Christ through a, a miraculous movement of the Holy Spirit causing the disciples to speak in tongues that they don't know. But other people hear their own language being spoken. More than that, they hear the truth of who is Jesus Christ. They hear that they were the ones who put him to death. They hear that they need forgiveness of their sins, not just for what they have done to Jesus, but the way they're living their lives. And that day, about 3,000 believe. Within a couple years, we believe there's over 10,000 that are worshiping and following Jesus in a city that has... In its regular population, not the tourist population, but the regular population of about uh, fifty to sixty thousand on a you know month to month basis, and and what do you do with these? What do you do with ten thousand when you you know when you say oh we weren't expecting this? So through God's Holy Spirit, He works through human activity, and just like we go to school and our minds expand. Understand that, uh, you know, these new followers are, are get involved and, and they're, they're involved in certain activities that on the, they seem to be human on the surface, but understand that God is blessing them down deep beyond what they deserve from the effort they're putting in. And in fact, two decades later, we find that these same activities are sort of repeated in every church that Paul plants. And he writes to this progressing group of Christians in Rome, all fairly new believers. And he writes this. He says, therefore, I urge you, brother, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. And do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So in Rome, in Thessalonica, in, in just about every place Paul goes, we see that you know the same things are, are told. You're going to offer your bodies, and that's one of the things as a new Christian that I had to get right. I had to offer my body. I had to put away the, the things of the flesh uh, that weren't yet of my time, um, uh, and and then uh, I wasn't married, you know. I had to put those things away. But then secondly, we realize that we're to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. Renewal of our minds. And I find that when my mind gets renewed, my will begins to make different choices, and then my body follows along because I now have a will to say yes to certain things and no to others. Well, this is what's happening in Jerusalem. 
70 to 120, 3,000, you turn your back, and just a few years later, there's over 10,000 probably worshiping. How do we help these people grow? How do we make disciples or lifelong followers of Jesus and fulfill Jesus' vision for them? And here's how they do it. I'm in Acts chapter 2, and uh, it says in verse 41 of Acts chapter 2, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And then here are the activities. Here is the program of that church, and I want you to look at this. I want you to see how simple it is. I, I came away from a, a church uh, that Barbara and I visited, and I opened the, the program, and it was three pages of here's what we do. Wow. I was impressed. I was also tired. I didn't want to read it all. Now, I realized that under women's ministry, I, I wasn't invited. Okay, I, I get that. And I realized under children's ministry and youth, but it was nice to know everything that they were doing. So this is going to be fairly boring, okay, fairly short. In fact, it's about a paragraph long. Here's what they do. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods, They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What is it that that these people are doing that, that seems to help them progress. It looks like there's four basic activities that they're involved in. Uh, it begins with uh, verse 42. They devoted themselves, apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And we'll get back to that. But then it goes to verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. So it appears that among the first activities that's involved with is these people are constantly in awe of who God is and what he's doing among them. In a recent uh, Sunday morning parade magazine, it was the title, the cover page was about uh, what brings about awe in uh, uh, among Americans. And three quarters of those surveyed said they had feelings of awe when they experienced some beauty in nature. It was awe engendered by the great outdoors. You know, what's your favorite part of Colorado? Well, uh, the maroon bells inspires awe in me. Uh, the black canyon of the Gunnison, you can't go down it, but you can be on top of it looking down, inspires awe in me. The skyline of Rocky Mountain National Park is awesome. It is gorgeous. The great sand dunes in the south and the 14er that I climb every year, Mount Evans, from the parking lot at the top, okay, (laughs) is awesome because you look out at the plains below on a clear day. And it's just amazing to see that you're in a 14er and down there are the fivers, 9,000 feet below you. It is great. 
Jerusalem is boring. It's on a hill. It's close to the Dead Sea, and it's called the Dead Sea because it's dead. Nothing can live in it. There's not a whole lot in Israel where you go, oh my gosh, isn't that amazing? Jerusalem as a city, yeah, had the same problem as any city. I've been to New York City. I don't go, oh, what an amazing city. Well, it is amazing, but I can't wait to get out of there. I go into Denver. It is a, you know, it's, it's not, it's not, oh, let's go and do this amazing thing in Denver. For me, it's, what did I do wrong? <laughs> I've got the most amazing outdoor experience here. So Jerusalem wouldn't be one of those things that filled people with awe. What was filling them with awe? God was filling them with awe because Christ is risen from the dead. And he is at work consistently in his disciples doing miraculous things in miraculous ways. So from the very beginning, the magnificence of Jesus, who is sent to us, who is living among his disciples with works of power, who goes to his cross dying for us, and who is raised from the dead, that causes awe for the believer. And so it is for us as today's followers. You take a three-day dead man and you restore him to life and you give him a new body with extra human capabilities and you appear to 500 at one time. And friends, that is awe. We worship that one who was sent by God to do for us what we could never do for ourselves, save our souls for eternity. That's awe. But I get it. If I lived at the Maroon Bells, I would go, those mountains again? If I lived at the bottom of the Black Canyon of the Gunnison, I said, oh, you know, these walls, they, 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 they hinder my freedom. They're no fun. I can't climb them. I'm, I'm stuck down here. And I understand that we thrive on new experiences. And the old experiences are, are is something that we, in an agreement with the Holy Spirit, have to say, I'm going to continue in these. I'm going to continue in these. Because, you know, it's not new. This happened 2,000 years ago. Uh, I became a believer, a follower of Christ 50 years ago, 51 years ago. So there's nothing that great. But Jesus remains awesome. Awesome. And so it says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread together with glad and sincere hearts. They seemed to be in constant worship both alone, which I do, but also together, meeting in the temple courts and hearing more about Jesus. Uh, they, they continued in the, in the Judaism and in its offerings and sacrifices, but their awe of Jesus and God the Father only grows. It only grows. Friends, I was, uh, as, as a new believer, I, I was in a church that decided it needed a new uh, pipe organ. And this was the mother of all pipe organs in our city. And it was a large city. And it, you know, there was a contributor, you know, so it was this name's, you know, memorial pipe organ. And when the, the total cost came out in 1968 dollars, it was several hundred thousand dollars then, so imagine what it is now. So we went through a fundraising campaign, an installation campaign, a, a uh, dedication uh, uh, of it uh, on one day. And with that dedication uh, came a demonstration. 
and I don't know the name of, I, I mean, Bach wrote it. I don't know what, what it's called, but it was that one that's done on the organ. What is it? Some of you know. Pardon? Okay. No, no, it's not Phantom of the Opera. But it's close. It's close. A fugue and, uh, anyway, I, I was looking for it, couldn't find it. Uh, and as we played it, it was great. God and Jesus were not mentioned in the entire dedication. It was prayed for. So God, you might say in that way, it was honored. And I must admit, man, every Sunday morning, because pipe organs were in, okay, that I went, it, it, it truly was quite a sound that filled the whole auditorium. Now, 30 years later, 30 years, only 30 years, they build a new auditorium, and the pipe organ doesn't make it. Jesus does. And the believers who are progressing in Jesus Christ, who are beginning in Jesus Christ, they come. And I'm sorry, every time I'm there, nobody mentions, oh, we so much miss the pipe organ. Good thing, I think. I think that's a good thing, okay? So what is it that brings awe to you? I get nature. I get, for those of you in, a, in a certain careers, I mean, if, if I was to, to um, uh, come back again, I would want to come back as a physicist because it just explains the world and makes it so interesting and, 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 and it makes it awesome. The fact that anything exists, you find out how it exists through, through physics. I just can't do physics. It's awesome, but God is the awesome one. So how does God become more awesome? Well, some of it comes through instruction in our lives. It says this back in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. To the apostles' teaching. Now, uh, you can put the apostles' teaching in just a little nutshell. Jesus is Lord. Three little words. And that's the beginning of the apostles' teaching. Understand that the Jews had seen many rabbis, but Jesus was Lord. They had seen many generals who were heroes of the nation, but Jesus was Lord. They had many politicians and, and, and political leaders who made all these promises to them, but Jesus was Lord. See, the problem with the rabbis and the politicians and the generals is they could not deliver their promises. But the apostles teach what they have experienced and seen with their own eyes. They teach Jesus' words, his deeds, his compassion, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. And together they learn both in home groups and in large groups and public groups and one-on-one groups who this Jesus is. And their awe only continues to grow. When they learned the apostles' teaching, they often had it uh, you know, in, 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 a, in, in, in homes together. And they'd just sit around the table and talk about Jesus. And it was a means of declaring who they were following, who their trust was in. Um, today in the American church, we have to be careful because we, uh, we, it, we can find it easy to devote ourselves to the, not so much to the apostles teaching, but to any certain apostle or teacher 
or leader who we believe everything they say. Our, our goal behind it all is to know Jesus and to listen to him. Now, it's come to my attention, and, and you don't need to raise your hands on this because I'm not asking for confessions, but during the week, some of you listen to other people besides me. <laughs> is that true? I mean, really? I mean, some of you, you know, you go, you know, Tim says it this way. Are you two in agreement? I go, yeah, yeah. Chuck, you know, Chuck went to this seminary, is president of this seminary, and he said it this way. And are you sure that what you said, hey, friends, thanks for listening. Uh, Andy, we all know Andy. We got nothing. If Andy said it, I mean, it must be true. I want you to know, Chuck, Tim, and Andy agree in just about everything. They might say it differently. They may say it better. No, they don't say it better. They say it differently. (laughs) doesn't matter which is better or not. And if you are listening to them, I want to say, good for you. I do. I'll admit it. Many of my greatest ideas are borrowed. I learn from other people. I read books incessantly. And so you can have podcasts or video presentations with great teachers available to you. Here at Bergen Park Church, we have what I call uh, Netflix for Christians called Right Now Ministries. And we subscribe to it. You can get onto it for free. There are Christian TV networks. Uh, we have community Bible studies, church Bible studies, women's Bible studies, men's Bible studies, children's Bible studies, youth Bible studies. We have Sunday school, schools and home groups that study the Bible together. It's all available to us. But the issue is, when do we do it? When is it put into our schedule so that we are progressing? Our mind is affecting our hearts where the decisions are made that affects our bodies so that our lives are more in alignment with Jesus Christ. Friends, if it's stuck up in the cloud and you're not bringing it down, it's no good. It's not doing you any good until it's renewing our minds. That's instruction. And then many of us neglect what I'm about to say. Because the third thing was the friendships that they developed together. It says this, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and their goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. The third activity, or part of the program wasn't really scheduled so much, but they were they, they found themselves in new friendships with fellow followers of Jesus. My experience was I didn't know any followers of Jesus. I started making new friendships and, and, and sort started to drift away. Drift away from my previous friendships. Uh, before that I had come to Jesus or cared much about Jesus, I was seeing Jesus in people who claim to be Christ followers. Now, they weren't perfect examples. That's okay, I'm not. And I'm going to say this, there were a few in my life who were terrible examples, who were no longer even following Jesus. But at the time, they were the best I had, and they were presenting the best of Jesus that they had. So I learned to pray Not because I read a book or listened to a a sermon. I learned to pray because I gathered with believers that prayed. I learned to give because I saw believers giving. I learned to treat women better. 
because I was around men who were real gentlemen. All of this came through the friendships that I had. And I learned to honor Jesus more in my life morally through the examples that these Christians set. So here's what amazes the residents of Jerusalem. Okay, And it can amaze the residents of Evergreen today. It can amaze them because it can still be practiced today. And it says this in verses 44 and 45. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as they had need. What's going on here? Do you see? They display their love for God through love for one another. And that love for one another is not a feeling. It's shown in the way they cared for one another and the way they shared with one another. When there was a need among the believers in Jerusalem, the believers met it. And they share their possessions. Even some sell assets so they can give more. They are a family that is tied together by the common faith of following Jesus in their lives. And over the decades... I just want you to know I have had the joy of being a receiver from those who wanted to share and give to me. And I'm grateful because it's kept me above the poverty line. I'm grateful because I've been able to live a better life, but I'm also grateful because it set an example for for me. Um, It is better to give than to receive. Jesus was right. It is better to give. And so, as I find, however much I have, that I've been able to give more and more and more, my joy increases. And I also find this. God provides me always with enough for myself and for my family, and always with enough to share for others. And that continues to grow. So we've been through worship, instruction, friendships. The final thing is they're expressing how their faith is expressed. Now, I, I, I understand media, I understand uh, information tech, I don't really understand information technology, I understand, you know, all the data and everything and how we're communicating with one another. I, I, I'm growing into it and I'm trying to keep up and, and I realize that some ways that we express our faith is it should be planned and organized so that it looks like we know what we're doing. Our coffee giveaway is one of those where we'll give out over 400 cups on Halloween afternoon to, to parents who don't get the sugar high their kids do. They get caffeine instead. And it's fun. And by the way, if you want to see Jim and his alter ego, come and join me. It's really... Most people say, uh, Jim, I like the old Jim. Okay. Um, but at other times... Oh, well, here's some other ways in which... Or, you know, our outreach or our expression is organized. We'll do it by door knocking, by street preaching, by giving out tracts, by having revivals, by having invitation onlys, by direct mailers, and by formal outreaches. These are all very good. It doesn't look like they ever did that in Jerusalem. And it seemed to be okay. That doesn't mean that we don't do those things. But maybe we should study the organic approach instead of the organized approach that seemed to work in Jerusalem. And you tell me if you think it would work in our world today. You know, you give me some thoughts. Here's what what they did. 
Jesus is honored and trusted in Jerusalem through the visible lives of his followers. You see, Judaism had become the state religion of Jerusalem. It's very possible to show up, to give your sacrifices or your offerings, to sit for a while, to sing a few songs, to endure a message, and to go home and never, you know, you'll always be the same. Nothing changes. They, it's very easy in a state religion to give your time, but going back to Romans chapter 2, never offer their bodies, never have their minds transformed. So they seem just to do it, as it says here, praising God in verse 46 and enjoying the favor of all the people. They lived a different life. And the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved. It seems to be a public expression of people's private faith that together just exudes out. Jesus says in John chapter 13, verses 33 through 35, By this will all men know that you are my disciples. The world knows because you love one another. I want to say this. It's easier to write a check than to love a Christian. I just made that up. It's easier to write a check than to love a Christian, especially a difficult Christian like you. I'm sorry, like me. It is much easier to write a check. They wrote checks, but that wasn't visible. What was visible was how they loved one another. What they were saying was that Jesus makes a difference in the life of this follower in this group of followers. Friends, in our communities, at our schools, when we attend our interest groups and our hobbies and our work, uh, uh, among even our family members who, you know, who, who are people who do not yet follow Jesus, I want you to know that God provides many ways to move them over that line of faith. Many ways. But I have found consistently, like in Jerusalem, the most effective way is the genuine believer. What the world is looking for is an authenticity of faith that shows itself in good deeds. Genuine caring. Genuine love. Even genuine sacrifice for the welfare of another. That is faith at work. Does this ever happen to you? You know, <clears throat> where you talk to somebody and say, hey, you know, I go to Bergen Park Church. Would you like to come with me? What would happen? They say, you know, because of you, I would like to go. Because of you, I would like to be there. At least, at least check it out. Now, maybe that takes some other things first. But because of what I see in you, I'd want a part of that. And and the amazing thing is that hopefully, as they get to know more of us, we're just as authentic as, as the person who made the invitation. You see, God's Spirit is dwelling in you and is smiling when you have a steady practice of these things because this is what brings about the transformation. Now, yes, I can, I can be involved in these activities and get nothing out of it. But I find that when I am and, and my spirit is in it, believe me, there is life change occurring. Uh, worship, instruction, friendship, and expression. People have called that W-I-F-E. Happy wife, happy 
Yes, okay. And, and I'd just like, like to continue by saying, worship, instruction, fellowship, and expression, however it is coming into you, it seems to be what started and, and progressed the church, these activities, uh, were involved in uh, blessing by, by the Holy Spirit to progress the church there in, in, uh, in Jerusalem. And it's happened in every ongoing movement throughout the 2,000 years of Christian faith. Every movement does the same things. The Methodists did it. The Baptists still do it. Good for the Baptists. When people stop getting involved in these things, worship, instruction, fellowship, expression, when they stop doing these things, they get involved in other things. And the sense of awe that leads to tell me more that leads to genuine friendships and expressing our faith through the way we live, these things begin to decline. So friends, how is that going with you? Worship, instruction, friendships, and expression. How is that going with you? I realize that there'd be some saying, I'm just getting started or I'm just getting restarted. And there'd also be some here today say, you know, I did that for a while. I'm a little jaded, a little tired of it. Not sure I want to get back on track. I get it. I get it. You're not condemned. You're not looked down on. In fact, I just see you as God's great opportunity for this moment. Going to take it? Let's pray. Almighty God. Great are you, Lord, as we were singing today. And it all goes back, not to an organ or an organ in a wonderful building, but to an amazing God. We worship not the creation, but the creator. And the most amazing thing about our creator is not the universe, but the son that he sent to us. And may that cause constant amazement in us and awe and worship so that the rest of our lives just moves ahead. Father, I want to pray for those beginning, still wondering, shall I, will I, should I? And holding back for whatever reason. Just want you to know the Lord is speaking to you today. Lord, I pray also for the ones who are tired. There's probably a lot of them. Hey, I've been following the Lord 50, 60, 70 years. Can't remember a time I wasn't a Christian. Don't have a lot to confess. (laughs) But I'm just not seeing the payback. Father, speak to them too. Let them know that you're looking for progress, not perfection. And that you want them to be involved with a group of believers that will reignite their faith and service and growth in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen.